0: Welcome to Febrile, a cultured podcast about all things infectious disease. We use console questions to dive into ID clinical reasoning, diagnostics, and antimicrobial management. I am your host, Sarah Dong. I'm a MedPeds ID fellow. Here on Febrile, we use patient cases and console questions to learn about high-yield ID topics. But we're changing it up a little bit today and trying a different format. I'm going to start by introducing our special guest, Dr. Saira Butt. She is an assistant professor of clinical medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Indiana University School of Medicine. She's been there since 2016 and has served as the program director of the Adult ID Fellowship training program since 2018. She trained in infectious diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you may or may not know she contributes to a ton of ID Board of View pearls on Twitter by maintaining content for the fellowship handle at IUID Fellowship. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Hi. Um, so before we jump into anything, we're still going to ask our culture question. Um, we, as Everyone's Favorite Culture podcast, we just like to ask you to share something that brings you joy or happiness, a little piece of culture.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a bit tough for me since I feel like I do so many things. But uh, <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with uh, audiobooks. I used to love reading books, but uh it's been hard for the past few years so I mostly yeah. listen to Audible all the time on my commute uh before going to bed. Uh it's mostly fiction. I like uh, mysteries and thrillers and some yeah. Asian authors. So yeah, uh that's yeah. what that's what I generally I
0: do. Are you do you have a current listen that you have running right now? Uh
1: I do. I actually just started that yesterday so maybe shouldn't say anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how good that is going to be. It, <laughs> it sounds good. Uh, but so I'm going to say maybe something in the water that was recent. Okay. And I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So today we're trying something different for Febrile. It is board exam season, start of the school year season. I guess I should say start of the academic year. Um, so we're going to have an episode just talking about resources. And then at the end, we'll do some sort of rapid fire mini review topics on cases that probably would not be a full febrile episode, but still are useful, particularly for taking tests. Um, and so first, we'll talk about some resources that are available for studying that I think in particular will be relevant for those who are studying for the a- or American Board of Internal Medicine ID board exam. Mm-hmm. But I think it's valuable for anyone who's starting ID fellowship, who's interested in ID, um, and they just want a place to quickly go reference something because We all know we can go to -to up-to-date, but sometimes even up-to-date at the end of the day is a lot to read, I think. Um, And then we'll cover those sort of small cases. The first thing we'll do is talk about these available resources for studying ID, particularly focusing on sort of board review. But again, a lot of these are good just as sort of reference material. Um, We're not going to get into the details of specific exams, but for those who are going to sit for the new um, this upcoming board cycle, certainly making sure you go on the ABIM website and looking at the blueprint. Um, that kind of gives you an idea of the breakdown of the test. And so, first and most importantly, is clinical care and day to day fellowship. So, for me, I like try to write down clinical pearls when we're rounding. I know some people have a notebook. I will also plug for posting um, hashtag IDDailyPearl or IDMedEd on Twitter. I've realized that it helps me remember and it helps sometimes your co-fellows or someone else you work with remember. I don't know if you have any other tips for like building and retaining knowledge when you're on the consult team, when it's busy um, trying to make things stick, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, I think anytime you're rounding, especially if you see something that's unusual, always write it down. You can look it up and always create a differential and try to um sorted out why this versus the other and and real life patients may have more than one thing, but for the yeah. books, it really helps uh, to have that differential diagnosis and your clinical reasoning um yeah. so uh I was a fellow many years ago, so I also used to have a notebook of these I have, still have those notebooks like just <laughs> keeping uh some interesting cases at that time I didn't know what was going on, but then you know follow them through and figuring out what happened so yeah, I think it's a great idea
0: yeah i I also I have a bad habit of sending myself emails and then I put them in a folder and look at them later. Um, so, fi- finding whatever works for people and then going from there. Yeah. Um, and so, the other things that we we're going to mention is I think the one that is. I would say is most well-known probably as the George Washington ID board review course. There is a live portion that was virtual this year and was already done in August, but you can access lectures and the they have study guides and board review questions on the online version. Um, and I'll put links to all of these on the website. Um, there is an ID week board review session. Um, I have not been to that, but I know that a lot of fellows sign up for that. Yeah. Um and then I'm not going to talk about every single ID textbook cuz we all know that everyone should have a copy of Mandel etc but I have to plug the comprehensive review of ID which was I think released it was probably last year now um which is just an awesome guide that really has sort of bullet points on all the ID topics that you would want to know and it is just a really great guide for a high like a high yield review um, I love at the end, they have a lot of sort of like ID associations and yes. um, like zoonoses and just like buzzwords that you should link together.
1: Yeah, we have done bingo from those associations. Yes. So it's <laughs> It's been quite fun.
0: Yeah. Um, and then as far as other available sort of uh Question banks, I know there's one other one from Board Vitals um, that I have not used, but it's another uh, set of questions if people want to use those. And then we have to plug ID Fellows Cup. I think by the time this is released, it'll be like the week before we start the October session. Okay. Um, but hopefully everyone who listens to this also knows about ID Fellows Cup, which is um, this awesome app, basically, that sends you border view questions, and there's a little bit of competition, there's a leaderboard, and so you don't have to be an ID Fellow only. Um, there's also uh, others, faculty members, and even those who aren't ID Fellows who are involved. Um, And it's really nice because they link to digital resources and, you know, especially tutorials, which is the perfect segue to ID Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, Indiana University, you guys have, I should say you in particular, (laughs) post these awesome board review process. It's every day. I don't know how you do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it started during COVID because I just want some... Um, escape from COVID. So I thought it would be fun to just post like some buzzwords with an image. So yeah. make people think about it. So, um, uh, and then it just sort of took off and it's fun to do it. I mean, you can ha- generally have a whole list, uh, already have a lot of documents, so it's easy to post. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it's good review. If you have time, few minutes in between, you can just go through them, uh, quickly. Uh, hopefully yeah. it helps you on the boards as well.
0: Yeah, I like how um, when things have gotten to the point where they've sort of cycled, it's like a variation of something you covered before, and it helps yeah. reinforce ones we've seen before. Yeah. Um, but obviously, looking at ID Twitter and accounts like Indiana University and Mayo Clinic and Washoe, so WUIDQ, yes. uh, Jerome has been on the show. Great way, I guess way back in the day now. Um <laughs> But yeah, I I also use ID Twitter to look at micro pictures. Like if you're Mm -hmm. ever reading about something and you're like, oh, I don't know what that description of X, Y, and Z looks like, you usually can type it in the search bar with ID Twitter and someone has probably posted a slide (laughs) of it. And then the last thing that I was – obviously, I am going to plug – digital resources like Febrile. Hopefully people who are listening already uh, know about us. We try to create infographics that I hope are good for teaching, but also as a way to study things. Um, And so, you know, I think that for me, it's been a really good experience because as you create these resources and force yourself to distill things down into one page, I think it forces you to know all the material um so it's i guess a little selfish in that way
1: no it's uh, (laughs) i i I have to say this is one of my favorite uh podcasts uh, especially for medicine uh and you kudos to you have done an amazing (laughs) job uh it's really great resource and i've been hearing a lot of residents using it too so i think that's great for our id um Future pipeline.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and you had a couple other, like, really awesome sort of case based uh, resources too, if you wanted to mention those.
1: Yeah. I, definitely for parasites, I like the CDC DDX um, and they yeah. post monthly cases. Just really not a lot of text to it, but the pictures are important. And I feel like for ID boards, they generally post a picture and that's good enough for you to answer those questions. So if you have time to go through them, I think it's really wonderful resource. Um, the other one is also ID Images, which is great um, short case with an image, uh, free for everyone to join, and you do need a login, but it's free. Um, and then I also like the Jorge's, uh UAB course, and they also have pictures with cases. Really, all good resources.
0: Yeah, and I think the um, that Match and Brigham ID Images they put the ID Week fellows day presentations on there as well yes but there's like a ton a ton of um things you can review in there yeah okay so that was rapid fire (laughs) for everyone who's listening i will make this list and i will put it in the website and a tutorial and all these uh any any way you can access it so that you have these resources and so i said we'd cover a couple sort of there are kind of many cases. Some of these are sort of just trivia as well. Um, so I'll start with the first one. So we have a 17 year old boy with developmental delay is brought into the ED with headaches and confusion. Uh, parents say that he spends a good amount of time outside has been seen eating dirt or sand from sandboxes. And at this point, he's febrile has signs of meningismus on exam and a CSF demonstrates an elevated opening pressure, white blood cell count of 500, with a differential of 25% neutrophils, 20% lymphocytes, 43% eosinophils, and the rest are monos, and then glucose of 60 and a protein of over 300. Our CSF gram stain was negative, the culture is pending, I was gonna ask what you're thinking about here, but basically my question being, what are the causes of eosinophilic meningitis? We don't see it a lot clinically, but uh, it seems to be a really <laughs> frequently tested question for a uh, an exam. Yeah. So
1: yeah, boards love the eosinophilic uh, meningitis, and I think the key here is like you need to figure out what do you have that diagnosis. So more than ten percent. Uh, Uh, of eosinophils and the CSF should make it in, in this case, like over 40%. Um, And then really there are two or three main categories. So uh, you gave a lot of clues. Generally, maybe the board may not give too many clues. (laughs) Yeah, the only
0: thing I didn't say was, oh, he also pets raccoons.
1: (laughs) So uh, generally for the, it is generally a Pete's case and you, even in Mm -hmm. the adult ID board, you can get Pete's cases. So remember that as well. So they will say, um, a kid who plays in the sandbox, they may not even say eating the sand or anything like that, and then presents with eosinophilic meningitis. Um, so the idea is you're worried about the raccoon pieces in there and Ballas uh, ischariasis are. Pathogen. The other thing occasionally I've seen on the boards or ITE is they will give a homeless man who is going through the trash and then comes with eosinophilic meningitis. And again, it's the same concept worried about raccoons. So, uh, badly scaries is our uh, main bug. But really, the more common one is the Uh, But that's the area where, so this is in US, we are talking about raccoons and um, this sort of presentation, but for um, for it's mostly some travel to Asia, uh, and then they come with uh, eosinophilic meningitis. But really, it's like what they ate. So if they ate like crabs or snails, um, and there, I know there have been some cases with centipedes. Um, so it's a rat lungworm, and then um, and there have been cases in Pacific islands, including Hawaii. So it could be in U.S. Mm-hmm. as well. Um, So I think those are the two main categories. And then there's the netostomiasis, which is less popular on the board, but it has a very uh, fun triad. Uh, So you will see eosinophilia plus these migratory nodules uh, plus uh, the raw fish consumption. So if you have all those three things, you should really be thinking about uh, and the foods are quite fun. Like the ones that are associated <laughs> with nethostromiasis. So eels and frogs and snakes. So previously again, um, it was thought like travel to Asia was a big deal, but really now the food gets imported. Uh, we can see this in transplant patients who have no travel, no food. Um, mm-hmm. so don't get hung upon. And I think that's the biggest thing for the boards in general. The buzzwords are nice, but don't jump on the answer right away. The, look at the buzzword and then look at the presentation. Does it match or the image matches? Then all of those together will give you the answer because ID board is uh, getting smart too. They will give you all kinds of things. Like they also went to the farm. They also went to the <laughs> cabin. They have been all over the place. So really have to tease yeah. out if it matches with, your, with the clinical presentation.
0: Yeah, I feel like whenever I leave the IT, I felt feel like every question is like that. They have like five animal exposures. They eat like three things that are very odd. They've traveled everywhere. They're like the most experienced patients you'll ever yeah. meet. Um, but yeah, I I always write a note to myself because I remember those three as ABG, um, yeah. angiostrondrius, Baylis, I think Baylis ascaris, nathostomiasis. and we know there are a couple other things that certainly could cause eosinophil yeah. meningitis. But I think if you remember those three, that's kind of the the goal there. Yeah. Um, okay. So our next uh, trivia question that I love to ask people that I think everyone who's around me is starting to learn the answer is what is the only state that is rabies free? So Hawaii. Yeah. 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 Um, So I I just wanted us to have a chance to talk about uh, post exposure rabies vaccine. And if you could sort of walk us through that and who who should get rabies immunoglobulin and how I'll make a point of saying like how that should be given.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, initially we should also think about um, if you guys work in travel clinic, like giving advice to who should get uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis as well. So um, certainly certain travel, but even um, veterinarians or uh, animal workers, uh, they should definitely be screened every six months uh, and get prophylaxis. Their serologies should be tested every six months and they should have um, pre-exposure prophylaxis. But uh, people traveling to... Uh, Asia or Africa, where they're going to be in rural areas and may have some exposure to animals, should, we should d- definitely be talking in our travel clinics to these patients. Uh, um, and then, uh, of course, here in US, we always uh, hear the term like "bat was seen in the room." <laughs> you know, that's our classic <laughs> yeah. uh, board question. <laughs> So I think that's uh it's very funny because we recently had somebody called our fellows about that they they, they found a bat uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think the most important question is like were you awake or asleep? So if you woke mm-hmm. up and you saw the bat, then you really don't know if it has bit you or scratched you, then you automatically um, you know and then do you have the bat and uh, you know if you have the animal then you can maybe test it. And if it's positive, then definitely post-exposure prophylaxis. But if you don't have the animal uh, and this kind of exposure bad in the room and you woke up, then you all bought yourself uh, post-exposure prophylaxis. And it's day zero, three, seven, and 14. Um, you want to give it as quickly as possible. Um, and then um, if uh, you have received the pre-exposure vaccine, then you get the two. Doses uh, of the vaccine mm. day zero and three. Uh, all the immunosuppressed patients get the five doses of the vaccine. Um, now the immunoglobulin um, has to be given. Like the wound has to be clean. This is very important with like soap and water. And they also comment about iodine-based uh, so, solution to irrigate the area. And then you want to give the uh, the immunoglobulin at the site of the bite if you know where it is. Um, concentrate there if possible. Um, if patient has been pre-vaccinated, then we don't need the immune globulin.
0: I think uh, you get caught a lot more as an ID fellow about rabies than I even expected. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so the next thing that we're going to cover is a 40-year-old female and her 10-year-old son come in with flushing of the neck and face. Uh, they both have a headache and they've both had diarrhea it happened about 45 minutes or so after eating a, what sounds like a really great meal. They had some mackerel, they had rice, they had some fruits and some mango and some cantaloupe. You know, without getting too far into it, I basically just started this as a way for us to talk about scombroid versus ciguatera, which are things that, again people probably remember studying for, but maybe have not necessarily seen? And kind of what are the comparing and contrasting those two entities?
1: Yeah, I think for the boars, for the scambroid, generally, it's they will give you pretty rapid time period, just like in here, 30 days, uh, 30 minutes, it can be up to 90 minutes. Um, sometimes they will give you that the, uh, the fish tasted funny or they had a peppery taste uh, that makes you think by that, And they will have the flushing and the rash it's more histamine induced reaction. So you will see similar, um, uh, but this can happen anywhere in the world. So sometimes they will give you where the patient is at. Um, so it doesn't really matter for this one. Um, it is worldwide. They may have perioral uh, paresthesia. That's really, but otherwise it's GI and the flushing. Um, and I know you've listed some of the consumption of the dark meat of the fish, so tuna, mackerel, Uh, mahi-mahi, also can be canned fish as well, um, and some contaminated cheese. um, um, So I think these days their favorite question is, they will give you the scenario, but then they will ask you, um, how can you prevent this? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's the refrigeration right away uh, from the time, so that can help uh, prevent it. Um, And then again, um, it generally resolves within its own, most patients do really well, um, now uh, the ciguatera, on the other hand, the uh, it can be three hours to thirty hours, so it's a prolonged period. And generally, it's the Caribbean or the Pacific Islands. But again, with uh, import the food getting imported, could be anywhere. Uh, but the interesting that has very interesting findings, I feel like they always list those uh, on the boards, at least That loose teeth, like what else disease will make you feel like your teeth are loose, right? So, so if you if you uh, hear worst that feeling ever. I know. So if you hear uh, you're wondering about scambroid versus ciguatera, but they give you this clue of loose teeth or the cold sensation are and the heat sensations yeah. are reversed. So cold feeds hot, hot feels cold. Um, they may have some bradycardia and stuff like that. But so if, if you if you're hearing those uh, things, you worry more about ciguatera. Uh, and really, you cannot prevent that. So that's another big point uh, The boards do want you to know that secret- uh, secretary you can't prevent, uh, but scambroid, if you did the right prevention, refrigeration, you could have prevented yeah. it. Um, and I think you did uh, list some of the uh, the neurotoxin is heat stable, lipid soluble. So that's why not affected by freezing, cooking, or marinating the fish. So that's, uh, I think that's important. Yeah.
0: And I feel like for secretary they'll comment that like the... There's nothing necessarily that makes the fish look different or taste different, um, Yeah, which obviously is more scary in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I realized until recently about sort of the, the – I mean, I knew the mechanisms were different, but how scombra is basically this – build up of i just imagine a little picture and histamine building up because bacteria produce it versus ciguatera having these little i actually don't know i should probably google it the dinoflagellates like what they look like but uh i don't know sometimes if people think if mechanisms help them remember things if you put like histamine and those responsible bacteria with scombroid then you can remember that uh ciguatera is just the other one (laughs) yeah yeah no that's Um, great points all right and then the last thing i was gonna do is just have us talk about a couple fun associations i uh love obviously zoonoses and linking things together um which is why febrile is so fun um but i thought we could go just like mention a couple go back and forth um The first thing I was going to do is have a throwback, because I feel like for those who've been listening to Febrile, it's a great way to start. And you may remember that when Jerome was on the show in episode two, he gave his uh, My Cat Loves Peanut Butter. And so his way of remembering cat-associated bugs. So the P being plague or Yersinia pestis and pastorella. B being Bartonella and then Bordetella bronchiseptica, and then T has peanut butter has three T's in it. So tularemia, Toxoplasma, and toxicara cat eye. Um, so I my first one I guess is barring for someone else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I love. I think I love tularemia. It has so many presentations. Uh, And I think ID board loves all the presentations. So it's uh, sometimes, so that's why I think I put that tick juice in the (laughs) eye. They love this. So somebody squeezed a tick and the juice got (laughs) in their eye and then they presented this oculoglandular syndrome. So that's tularemia. Uh, The other ones are like somebody was skinning the, some sort of rodent squirrel. Uh, and now they're present with some sort of nodule in the groin and with this uh, S-Car. And then again, need to think about tularemia or they, they're mowing over yeah. rabbits in New England <laughs> <laughs> and then coming with pneumonia. That's also tularemia. So there's a lot of presentations and really they love all yeah. the presentations. So if you have time do review all of uh, the scenarios, I've never seen it <laughs> in real life. I've been looking for it, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. but yeah. never found it. Um, but yeah, I think boards really do love
0: that. Yeah. And I'll have to put it associate it with this episode, too. I made a, a perinod uh graphic. And so I think if you just rem- yeah. there's a lot of causes, but I think Bartonella and tularemia, if you remember those, I think that is a very easy question to get right. If you just recognize the, you know, they always give you the lymph node that is... In front of the preauricular lymph node and the conjunctivitis, it's always like an 18 year old or someone who's like right at that age. And they'll either make it clear it's tularemia or they'll say they have a cat. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the next thing I wrote down were armadillos, which I think if you see armadillo in question, you automatically think of Mycobacterium leprae, but also they can have and spread sporothrix, which I learned this year. I have not obviously seen it, but I think it's an interesting association.
1: Yeah. I've definitely seen armadillo because I trained in Mississippi and uh, many times they don't have direct contact with armadillo uh, and the skin lesions can be very subtle, but you know, they'll give you the skin lesion and then they don't have sensation yeah. in that uh, skin lesion, you need to do the biopsy and make sure you involve the nerve uh, in the biopsy and it will be teeming with AFB, and that's your answer for uh, for yeah. the leprosy. And yeah, we have uh, iguanas or reptiles. Anytime people mm-hmm. with, these exotic uh, pets, the kids with exotic pets, and then they come with some GI illness, uh, then think of salmonella. Uh, And I would say for like older people, it's generally vascular um, infection with salmonella. So always keep that in mind as well.
0: Um, And then I think we should talk about sheep because there's always a couple things. So Brucella and Coxiella are always on the list. I feel like we all talk about them all the time. And then this ORF virus, which I don't I do not expect to ever see in real life but somehow I've managed to see it on questions all the time and it was a New England journal uh image this I think in this like past year and so it was a really nice picture of like Recently. the evolution of the lesion so um
1: yeah sheep has a lot of uh, association as well so it just depends what what sort of association so here it should be like some sort of skinning of the sheep uh, and then sometimes it'll tell you the animal was sick as well yeah, with the work yeah. um, and then I had uh, for the near drowning, uh, if they give you somebody who nearly drowned and now came with like brain lesion and encephalopathic, then think of uh, skedosporium. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's one that I feel they like really comes up that clinically, question. or at least I I know it's come up for me yeah. in the past. Yeah. Um, and then I put another another thing that I think of for tests, but I don't necessarily think of in the consult setting that often is this association of herpes B virus with Uh, macaque monkeys. I know I probably should. I feel like the question stem sometimes talk about like old world and new world. I don't really know the difference or the details, but usually I can guess based on monkey plus herpes B. <laughs> I don't know if you have other tips yeah. for remembering that.
1: I know. I think those kind of questions are pretty clear cut. It will be somebody in the lab working with monkeys or maybe uh, in a field uh, and they were working with monkeys. It was pretty, uh, very clear um, association. So those aren't, you know, yeah. not to miss ones.
0: And I love your last one about uh, Tashmar.
1: Yeah. So I had a bunch of, uh, so the um, you know, this SCAR and, uh, this is something that I've learned recently. We always used to think associate with one of the rickettsial infections, but there's few of them. They can exactly present the same way, but it's the other clues in the stem that will help you. Um, so in USA, we have the rickettsia mm. parkeri, uh, which is this is how I remember the parkery. So it's similar to Rocky Mountain spotted fever, but with this escar, this black escar. Rocky Mountain spotted fever will not have the escar. Uh, but the parkery will. And also they ask about the vectors of these. So for Rocky Mountain spotted fever and for our parkery, it is a tick-borne uh, illness. Generally, it's uh, Atlantic coast, but you can see it other places as well. Um, and then the other one they like is the rickettsia uh, akari or the rickettsia pox. Generally, it's a homeless person in the stem and it's because the vector is the mite. They will, They may ask you what is the vector, Uh, They will give you the escar in this homeless person and this rickettsial pox lesions, um, and it's the mouse mite, so they may ask that. Um, Now, if there's a same Tash Noir, but the patient came from an African safari, um, then think of rickettsia africae. If they went to Mediterranean on a cruise and then came back with this SCAR, then it's uh, the coronary or uh, Mediterranean fever. And then the last one is the Orentia susukamushi, uh, which is generally if somebody's traveled to Asia and then again has that uh, attachment over. So these associations do help. And again, the vectors are important, too. Um, the endemic typhus is, uh, is the louse-born. That's the only one that we need to remember is, is, a, uh, yeah. is a louse. So I think, yeah, those ones, if you remember it, always there's a primer, I think, on the uh, uh, George Washington uh, Board Review a uh, couple of slides, if you just look at them right before the board, I think it will help you distinguish. They will definitely be your kid seal question. They're not going to ask about treatment because they know, you know, it's doxy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think I I think it was from the George Washington course, or maybe someone had taught this to me before, but the whole thinking rash plus an Ascar, Tash Noir, and fever to think of something that's vector born of that list that you did. And then like detective work, figuring out the rest based on whatever- exposure or travel history that they give you. Um, yeah. Cause I feel like I always, I used to, I hopefully I'm getting those questions right now, but I feel like I used to get them wrong most of the time. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, you know, we just wanted to try something new today and I will, I always end by giving you a chance to just say, if there's anything else you, any other advice you have or anything else you want to mention before we wrap up.
1: Um, Yeah, I think again, uh, same, I think I mentioned that before. Uh, The buzzwords are great, uh, but also look at the clinical picture. Sometimes it helps if the stem is very long or even regularly look at the choices first. So Mm -hmm. quickly glance at the choices, look at the image if it's provided and then read the stem um, and it will help you. Uh, And do pay attention to the vectors. They do like those. If it's They know you're going to get the diagnosis or treatment. They're going to ask about the vector. (laughs) Uh, So, so think about those. Yeah, quickly look at the primers before the exam. Um, The maybe you can include this in the in the infographics. The antimicrobial um, and antifungal primers, like some of the key things we should know. Certain resistance patterns. uh, Trying to identify. Um, these days for the past couple of years, I would say in the ID boards, they are really hung upon the heart, lung transplant. Um, Mm -hmm. so really think about the vaccines and they will give you, um, their family members or friends who are also immunosuppressed and now they have heart, lung transplant, what should be the timeline, uh, for the vaccines, um, really pay attention to those, look at the vaccine charts for the transplant patients because they really do love those, um, Uh, And then the antibiotic uh, resistance always is, uh, is their favorite. So yeah, not easy questions always.
0: Yeah. And I think it's nice, because, you know, we'll put links to all these so that people can have these sort of pre made primers. But I think as you study, everyone probably makes their own primer of those things. You're like, Uh, at least for me, that's how I study. I I make a list. I'm like, I'm definitely gonna have to look at this right before because it just isn't sticking in my long-term memory. So um, I think that's always good advice for people. Like you usually have some idea of your blind spots because you've been taking tests for however many years at this point. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Good thing is like, I think ID boards do have almost two minutes per question. So you do have plenty of time. So that definitely helps compared to any other exams that you have taken. Uh, or maybe you just get better with time (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and we'll just I you know I was just gonna have sort of a random assortment of graphics for this episode and you can probably guess there are probably things that I need to study Um, but I think like the list of organisms like which like you were saying with specific resistance patterns um, those are always just like if I think you learn it over time as you're seeing patients and and sort of looking it up, but it never hurts to have a reference list for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, different things work for different people. If you like mnemonics, then go with mnemonics. A person like me, I forget the mnemonics. So, me too. <laughs> uh, it's not a good idea, unless it's very common. It's been used for many years, and maybe I'll remember it. So just do whatever works for you. Yeah. Uh, so, But do have some sort of method, and reviewing them a couple of days before, especially like the things we don't see every day, um, parasites or uh, unusual bugs that you don't mm. see in U.S., um, have a list and those two or three sheets review them before the boards. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us and going through a couple fun cases. Um, and thank you so much for all of the work you put into the uh, Indiana university, the, uh, Twitter account too.
1: Yeah, definitely do follow us at IUID fellowship. I have to plug for myself. Yeah, of course. And I think Febrile podcast, definitely. It's, uh, it's a lot of work that you put in. So I'm uh, very thankful to you. And hopefully people are following.
0: Thanks to Syra for joining me to try out something new here on Febrile. So there are plenty of infographics coming your way. And I'll have a nice list of all these resources that we discussed on the website. And we'll post them on Twitter as well. So you can find Febrile on the website, febrilepodcast.com and on Twitter and Instagram, Please reach out if you have other suggestions for future shows to let me know if you liked this format or not, and if you want to be more involved with Febbrow. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.